the leader of the local hunters responds after only one ring. They agree to meet at first light. There's nothing they can do in the dark. As dawn breaks, all the men from the village gather outside Johansson's house. It is minus two degrees centigrade. Tree branches white with frost. Leaves have fallen. Rowan berries gleam rust red among the grey. Something feathery is floating through the air, the kind of snow that never settles. They stare at the devastation in and around the dog kennel. More or less all that is left, attached to the running leash, is the dog's skull. The rest is blood-soaked slush. It is a hard-boiled collection of men. They're all wearing checked shirts, trousers with lots of pockets, belts carrying knives, and green jackets. The young ones have beards and a peaked cap on their heads. The older ones are clean-shaven and wear fur hats with ear flaps. These are men who make their own motorised carts for dragging back home the elks they have shot. Men who prefer cars with carburettors, so that they can mess around with the engines themselves, and are not dependent on service garages where they nowadays just attach computer cables to the cars. This is what happened, the hunt leader says, as the more gnarled members of his team stuff new wads of chewing tobacco into their mouths and glance furtively at Johansson, who is having difficulty in controlling the ticks in various parts of his face. Samuel heard the dog howling. He grabbed his gun and went out. We've had bears prowling around here for quite some time now, so he realised that might be the problem. Johansson nods. Anyway, you go out with your rifle, the bear is gobbling away at the dog and turns to attack you. You shoot it in self-defence. It was coming towards you. You didn't go in and fetch your gun. You had it with you from the start. No messing about in this case. Nobody's going to be prosecuted for breaking hunting laws, right? I rang the police last night and put them in the picture. They had no hesitation in classifying it as self-defence. Who's going to hunt it down? Somebody wonders aloud. Patrick Mekitalo. That piece of information is followed by total silence, while all present consider the implications. Mekitalo comes from Luleo. It would have been good if somebody from their own local hunting team had been commissioned to track down the bear. But none of them has a dog as proficient as Mekitalo's. And deep down, they wonder if they are proficient enough themselves as well. The bear is wounded, and so highly dangerous. It is essential to have a dog that dares to hold the bear at bay, rather than panicking and running back to its master with the ferocious beast hard on its heels. And the hunter must not get cold feet either. When Teddy comes crashing through the undergrowth, he might have no more than a second in which to react. The lethal target area on a bear is no wider than the base of a saucepan. And the hunter is aiming without a rifle support. It's like shooting a flying tennis ball. If he misses, it is by no means sure that he will get a second chance. Hunting bears is not something for anybody with shaky hands. Speak of the devil, the hunt leader says, looking along the road.
Patrick Mecatalo gets out of his car and greets the assembled group with a nod. He is about thirty-five. He tends to screw up his eyes. His beard is long and narrow like a goat's. A Norbotan Mongol warrior. Mecatalo doesn't say much, but listens intently to the hunt leader and asks Johansson about the shot. Where exactly was he standing? Where was the bear? What ammunition did he use? Oryx. Good, Mekatalo says. A high residual weight with a bit of luck it might have gone right through the beast. That would make it bleed more and make it easier to track. What do you use? It is one of the older hunters who plucks up the courage to ask. Falcon. It usually stops just inside the skin. Of course, the old-timers think. He doesn't shoot to wound a bear. Killing it outright means he doesn't need to try.